Hello, trauma thrivers, and lovely to see you, and also great to introduce Angela Mutanda, who I'm so honoured is joining us today on the sofa to talk all things trauma, and also we might be mentioning a little bit about COVID-19. Hi, Lou. How are you? Good to see you. Lovely. Good. How are you? Coping. Good, yes, that's very important to cope in this moment, yeah. I'm just going to introduce a little bit more about Angela to those of you that are watching. She is, for those of you that don't recognise her, a highly respected relationship psychologist, a mental health expert, presenter, author, social scientist and media consultant with an international profile. Angela's been the presenter and expert on so many TV shows and programs. I won't mention them all individually, but they include work for Channel 4, Channel 5, Paramount, Channel 7, Australia, and Fox TV. She's also fronted a variety of cutting-edge series such as My Na Naked Secret on Discovery Worldwide and TLC. She's fronted BBC One's primetime series Family Contract, co-presented Sky One's popular primetime series Body Language Secrets, and she was also the co-anchor on Channel 5's Doctor Doctor alongside Dr Phil Hammond and Dr Mark Porter. She's been the expert phobia psychologist on Feel the Fear for CITV, working alongside Holly Willoughby, and she makes regular guest appearances on programmes such as Good Morning Britain, Lorraine, BBC Breakfast, and she was the resident psychologist on ITV's This Morning for over six years. She's also been on the BBC Ones, which I love, The One Show. Angela's been the agony aunt for several publications and also regularly appears on a variety of radio discussion shows, including Radio 4's Women's Hour. Her first self-help book, entitled Celebrity Life Laundry, which sounds brilliant, came out in 2007, and so has her second self-help book, entitled How to Do Relationships. Angela's Vice President for Relate, who do amazing work, alongside Ruby Wax and Professor Tanya Byron. She's also the Media and Diversity Ambassador for the National Counselling Society and has been a senior practitioner for over 20 years, qualified in PTSD, couples counselling, anger management, as well as cognitive behavioural coaching. She also has a background in workplace and organisational psychology, outplacement and stress management, as well as previously being director of emotional intelligence in the workplace. So as you can see, quite a CV and a long one and a very illustrious one. And for that, I'm truly grateful that she's joining us today to give us some of her knowledge and expertise on trauma. And as I usually do, I always start just with getting to know you a little bit and for the audience and to ask about your own personal experience of trauma and how you got into psychology in the first place. <laughs> 
Whoa. Um, I know. Not a big question at all. No, that's just a really tiny question. Yeah. First of all, thanks for the invite, Lou. Oh, thank you for I'm joining. So chuffed to do this with you today. Really. Oh, thank you. Um, and it's really funny because when you suggested we do this, I hadn't really thought of myself as somebody, you know, working with trauma, my own trauma in that way. Because I think people who've who've gone through trauma just deal with it. Yeah. And it's sort of normal. So having to break it down, I think I was traumatized before I was born. Wow. And I think in the soup of the amniotic fluid, I think that was my first introduction to trauma. Okay. My, my mum and dad got together uh, very, like, my mum was sort of one of these women who was like, I want to do my own thing. She was very young. My, my grandparents were completely against my dad. Um, they met in India. He was Ugandan. She's Indian. You know, never the twain shall meet at that time. Yeah. And so she was rebelling. And they basically said, if you get together with him, we're cutting you off. Oh. So she did her own thing, went, went to Africa with my dad, and I think realized she'd made a mistake. Yes. So I, th I think at the time that she was pregnant, she was in the middle of, should I really have done this? This was a mistake. Then when I was a few months old, my dad had a, a road accident, a near fatal car crash, mm -hmm. where the person he, he was in the car with died. I think my dad was a narcissistic, very vain man. And the surgeon in the hospital said to him, um, you're not going to attract the ladies anymore because it had ripped his ear. So here you've got two young people, one who's been cut off. Yes. Um, and one who's lost his looks, he's been told, um, and a child. So that's the beginning of me. Yes. <laughs> wow. So I think for me, trauma just has always been around. They had a very volatile marriage. Um, they lived in a very volatile country. Um, the, the social situation was almost like a police state. It was. Yes. You know, Idi Amin was the president. So it was... So stress all the time and loads of cortisol and, and yeah. All the time. So when I say I was born into it, with it, I carry it. There's also a lot of ancestral baggage. Yes. So that's why for me, I think trauma's normal, which it isn't. Yes. <laughs> so so their, their marriage was very fraught. Um, there's a lot of domestic violence. Ugh. I remember being um, four years old, and you know what little kids are like. Um, my mum bought me a new outfit. I thought I looked really good. I ran into the bathroom, and I said, Dad, look at me, look at me, in my new hot pants. And he refused to look at me, he just carried on staring dead ahead. He then came out of the bathroom, picked me up by my lips, oh. said, never ever do that again and that was my introduction into how to deal with somebody like him so I was I was traumatized but I, yeah. I went numb yeah totally freeze yeah. yeah and the second time that freeze happened was when I was five and I came again I kept trying with these two parents oh. running down the stairs in our brand new house we just moved in with you know how kids are with neck curtains I was like, yeah oh, a bride yeah hey running down the stairs, wanted to show them, look at me. They were in the middle of a bloody war. And I, when I say bloody, I mean there was blood. 
Wow. They're hitting each other with furniture. Bless and Again, you. I froze. And I didn't want to interrupt because I didn't know what would happen to them, what would happen to me. So I just stayed there till it was over. So as you can see, I'm building on my own traumas, layer after layer. And so your adaptation becomes your new normal. Yeah. Always like hypervigilant, hyper alert, observing, looking at people's faces to read when to freeze, when to fight, when to take flight. Yeah. Or when... I guess when it's safe, even. Yeah. So that's that, pretty much my childhood. <laughs> how did you get out of that? Or at what point did you kind of move to safety? Was there ever safe in your teenage years? What were they like? No, there wasn't. Um, we left um, Uganda, um, I think it was in the late 70s, early 80s. My father just died of... Um, what did he have? A brain aneurysm. Oh, um, so, how old were you at the time? Gosh, I was little, about six, seven, something like that, very young. Yeah. And I had to go and see his body in the hospital. Oh, I'm so... I couldn't understand why he had cotton wool up his nose, because he oh. was sleeping. Um, and, I, and I was like, he looked slightly grain pallor, but I... I was like, he shouldn't have that of his, anyway. So <laughs> that was my first introduction to death of a man. Yeah, which is really young and your dad. Yeah. I'm so sorry. Yeah, but just look how I deal with it. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah, whereas I'm really feeling it, actually. I feel really quite emotional for you. Okay, yeah. Interesting, isn't it? But it's normal. Yeah. It's not, but... Yeah. So then we came, my mum had to kind of almost sneak us out of the country because she's Indian, we weren't allowed to leave the country, so she had to sneak us out. We left under the cover of midnight. Mm. We arrived, we went by Paris, then we arrived in this country. My first instruction was to live in an old people's home. She knew no one. It was a friend's parent. So we were there for two weeks. Of course, I don't fit into an old people's home because I'm a kid going, yeah, oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we left there, then we lived in a hostel. So that was quite traumatic. I didn't realise I was traumatised, so I was probably yeah. acting out a lot. Yes. Um, probably angry, probably frustrated, probably not understanding how to fit into friendship groups. Yeah. Um, all of that stuff. Um, so we lived in this hostel, my mum and I, in a tiny little room. We come from a huge house to a tiny little room. And she was probably traumatised and stressed out. So the two of us together wasn't pretty. Yeah. Um, so school was hard. She then very quickly um, remarried. Did she? Yeah. Within, Me. I'd say about 18 months. Yeah, that's fast, isn't it? Very fast. Um, she married a guy who, in my estimation, was a child. A child, man-child. Yes. So then suddenly you've gone from this very almost claustrophobic relationship with your mother where it's just the two of you in survival mode to this third person who I did not trust at all. Mm. And I was right. Were you? I yeah. Good instincts about Kids' it. instincts, hey? And early to who's safe and who's not. I, he, he, he wasn't safe. So there was also always a feeling of threat. Yes. Running just beneath the surface all 
the time. So those were my teen years. I had another child who, to me, was the most glorious thing ever. Because for the first time in my life, I thought this this baby, their baby, loved me unconditionally. So for the first time in my life, I was like, oh, that's what unconditional love is like. It's lovely. (laughs) And, um, but I became the carer for the child. I became the person that everybody dumped their emotional stuff on, frustrations, physicality. I was beaten up a lot. And that was actually quite a a theme of my childhood, was being beaten up a lot was normal. In fact, I remember actually, if I take you back to when I was five, my first day at primary school, I decided to walk home because I thought I knew the way. And I was a very independent soul. And of course I got lost and found myself on the motorway. Um, and actually, weirdly, my mum found me. She was in tears. She was like, what have you done? And when I went home, my dad beat me up. Yeah. So, so, so being hit yeah. was yeah. a normal thing, which yeah. is traumatic. It's horrendous. To me, yeah. that being hit, being shattered at, being blamed, being attacked is what happens to me. So how the hell did you get out of all of that? Well, psychology. <laughs> you sort of become, I mean, I'm very good at taking care of other people. Yes. Um, but at 18, I was like, I have to study. I have a brain. I need to understand what the hell's been going. I mean, my mum and stepdad got divorced. Did they? So she realised too that he was no good. Yeah. Oh, it was back. It was volatile from day one. And she was warned, but you know, anyway, that's her, sh- that's her show. Yeah. yeah. So I went to study psychology and I think that was the beginning of like, oh, I'm not crazy. Other people around me might have not been kind to me. Yeah. Treated me in the way that actually children deserve to be treated. So I think that was the first step into wellness. And I've always said to people, if you want to work through anything, you need to develop a level of self-awareness. Yes. Otherwise you're just playing to other people's tunes for the rest of your life. Yeah. With me, it's always, would have always been about self-blame. So it's even like, in, you know, we're talking about, we're living in the age of that sort of COVID-19. Um, if I hadn't worked on myself, I'd have managed to personalise that and said, well, how was I responsible for that? Yes. Could I play in that? that that's how an adapt, adaptation behaviour manifests itself. Yeah. Or it, well, for me, it's catastrophizing and personalising. But also I think if we have got untreated trauma, let's say, in the child, I always say with clients, I kind of use that model of critical parent, nurturing parent, adult, not okay child and I think the not okay child and us as kids we make everything about ourselves don't we it's always our fault completely completely our fault and then we take care of others yes always like looking for uh, almost being an ambulance chaser yes totally where is the pain and how can I fix it yeah yeah and so I always think that us therapists need to do some of our own codependency work as well mm. when we come into this profession mm. because we are such brilliant fixers of others. Really, really. And I think it's not in our nature to be selfish. And it's, I learned very early on when I did, actually when I did my master's in counselling psychology, it was like there is such a thing as good selfish. Yes. 
good selfish is healthy. Yes. You know, being a broken person, trying to treat other people or help other people is just loads more fragmentation. It's yeah. yeah. You're not actually trying to fix them. You're trying to fix yourself through them. Totally. It's not fair. No, it's not. So, so actually I had two years of therapy as part of my training and I continued it after I finished my master's because I thought that I need to work from the inside out. And what, what, what kind of therapy or did you have? What did you find useful on your journey? I actually found psychosynthesis or transpersonal. Oh, okay. Yeah. Really helpful. Um, I loved my therapist, Edna. She was, she just got me straight away. Yeah, lovely. Very buttoned down, or I'd turn up late, or I'd turn up really early because I was testing the boundaries. Yeah. Obviously, I didn't trust people. Why would I? No, totally. Absolutely under threat around people all the time. People let you down, don't they? Yeah. She never did. She was. And I remember once actually, I, um, she had to work from a different um, office, and I asked my mum for a lift. And it's the first time I've experienced my mother feeling absolute jealousy because she could sense that I was getting parenting parenting from somewhere else. Really fascinating. Yeah, very fascinating. And so in the middle of that relationship, like Yeah, yeah. This woman I was like, hell to the yeah. So was that in your 20s then that you kind of studied and did all the therapy journey and trained and... Really early, 21, 22. Really. Wow. Yeah. And then when did you start working in the profession? 23. Oh, amazing. Really young. Yeah, that is. Yeah. That, I mean, that's interesting, isn't it? Because I, I, I always think that I remember my first years at the Priory because I was at, on the Priory Addiction Unit for about 10 years. Wow. And, I, and I thought I was quite young. I was, think I was 35 at the time. But one of my friends was 25. Yeah. And I still think, she's still a friend now, she's a Greek psychologist, that she had a, a little bit tougher than me being 25 somewhere like that to start with, with all the older clients. My first client, I'll always remember her, and I, with such, like, loving feelings, she was 59. Was she? And she treated me like... Good. You're my therapist. Yeah. I'm stuck. And... Yeah. Because actually we can be wise at 22... And not wise at 52, depending on who we are and what we've been through, age is kind of immaterial, isn't it? I, I, think, I think so. I mean, I think when I, when I went to do the Masters, they said our minimum age is 25. So I went through a very rigorous interview. Wow. I was the youngest person. Yeah. Um, but they said to me, you've been through so much and come through so much that some people never go through this in a whole life. Yeah. So we will give yeah. you, a, give you a, a, a space. And it was like, I loved it. It was the best thing I ever did. Yeah. So. And so you really moved out of survival quite early on into, because I, I, I always think there's an interesting point between surviving our trauma and then actually being able to thrive through it or because of it. 
what are your thoughts on you? Because obviously you've been such a phenomenal thriver and had such a brilliant career and really gone out there and been able to have a voice, shine, speak out. That's amazing because so many trauma um, survivors for me find that really difficult to kind of be out there or take their space in the world. I mean, thank you for saying that. And I think it really re depends on the trauma that you've been through. And I think for me, um, if you look at it as sort of, I, I think I have two narcissistic parents and a narcissistic step-parent. So I was properly surrounded. Um, and I was, just. Oh God, please, where are the exits? Um, and I think because they scapegoated me and I was also the literally the black sheep of the family because everybody else was like lighter skin and there was a whole other layer of this including a grandmother who said she's not she we don't we don't like she's different and step-grandparents who when my parents got mom and stepdad got divorced said we no longer recognize her as our grandchild so there was a great deal of scapegoating and then a great deal of stifling my voice. So I think I fought for my voice. I think that's why it's manifested in the work. Yes. But in terms of thriving, I think that is a day-to-day -day job that I do. And my greatest success is not my work, is not what I do in the world. It's the fact that I met the most fantastic person and have a brilliant relationship with him. And I've managed to be an okay parent that is my greatest success. Yeah. And that's when I know I'm thriving. Yeah. It's not my work. It is my family that I've created. Because I never thought I could do that. And I never thought I had the skills to do that. And I never thought I was okay enough to do that. And that's how I measure my thriving. Yeah, that's lovely. How did you turn that round? Because obviously the books and the work that you've done, yeah. a lot of it is on relationships. Yeah. <laughs> there is a reason for that. I think yeah. it's about it that way. They, they uh, relationships matter. Yeah. And your first relationship, and this is what I wrote about when I wrote how to do relationships, is you know, your relationship with yourself matters. And you know, people can feel lonely and isolated, and I have no one. You have you. You have you. And working on that, getting your circle of support whether it's with therapists with healthy friendships you know this is how you can make those connections healthily if you've got you together yeah so that's what i started working with myself first because i realized very early on that i was taking a lot of unhealthiness into relationships and every relationship i have challenges how well or not well i'm doing and the greatest challenge has been actually being a parent and having that relationship because being a parent will re-trigger traumas oh. patterns of behavior you thought you were done with um whenever there's stress you go back to your default setting and what yeah. you did before that kind of you know is wrong but it's familiar so all this stuff re reinforms how you relate to yourself how willing you are to work on yourself and how it affects the people around you. Yeah. So that's why all that work and so many brilliant clients I've come across who've taught me so much. Yeah. You know, the, my, my book, How to Do Relationships, is a, is, is a collection of case studies 
um, and amalgamations of different people I've worked with. And, you know, they are brave. Just because I'm out in the world doing it, people who come into counselling, they are brave. They are so brave to come and sit in front of another human being and say, this is my pain. And this is what I've been through. I agree. This is what I want to work on. That takes courage. Yeah, it does. Therapists underestimate how much courage it takes even to pick up the phone and make an appointment. So I honor all of them. Yeah. That I do. So when I do some stuff on television or whatever, it's them I'm always honoring. I'm always aware that those are the people who are the brave souls who inform our work. Yeah, they do. Yeah, it's, the, it's the internal journey, isn't it? And making that internal journey. And I, you know, in a way, that's why I think that if we can reframe this self-isolation at the moment yes. um, and start to say to people, this could be a really good time for you. Yeah. And you there's know. so many resources, like your resource is fantastic to connect in that way. Yeah to read, there's so many things on YouTube that, that you just go, right, I'm going to work on me. Yes. And I'm going to go to the best people I know to do that. Yeah. And connect in that way and just start that process. Yeah. Really be kind to yourself during this. It's a tough, challenging period for all of us. Yeah. So it's, it's a really important time as well because time has actually been suspended. It has. So you can rewrite how you're going to spend your time and what you're going to work on and give yourself a structure and routine on how you're going to feed your soul. Yeah. What matters. Yeah. And people out there listening to this who don't really want to be on their own, who don't like their own company, who don't enjoy solitude or, you know, being quiet, because without those external distractions... Some people go, oh, my God, I, I can't face myself for 12 hours a day. What would you say to those people? What, what tips can we give them just to start? Because I think that point you made about awareness is really crucial as well. It is. I mean, it is a hard time to work on yourself when you can't distract yourself as well. So I think being kind to yourself. I think sometimes you go, I can't stand my own company all right but just be kind to you while you're while you're not standing your own company and it is even doing nice things for yourself like watching films you want to yeah you know reading books you haven't had time to catch up on these are healthy distractions but they're also about feeding yourself so you're indirectly taking care of yourself and then connecting with people who are positive and hopeful and supportive yeah. other ways of being kind to yourself so you might go oh i can't bear me but just by the very doing of that you are bearing you in a healthier way yeah how are you what are your plans for the next few weeks on you know this self-isolation have you got much work on are you still seeing clients or I've, i'm you know i'm seeing clients in, in an online way as yeah, much as i can i mean yeah. i've got my family at home with me so it's not quite total shutdown yeah um I think I'm taking it on a day-by-day basis um I also know that this too will pass so I'm you know but I think just taking it day by day and slowing myself down is good for my mental health yeah um I'm also limiting how much news I watch yeah totally that's not helpful 
Um, there's a lot of social media conspiracy theories. So if I want my information, I'll go to WHO or UNICEF. So it's just kind of keeping it like that, but having a structure. I've decided, because we've had a piano sat in the study for 10 years for my daughter, I'm going to learn. Amazing. Learn. Amazing, brilliant idea. Because you know what? She can do it. And I'm like, I'm always looking at her going, I <laughs> and she's like, you've got to practice, mum. So I'm going to try a new skill. Fantastic. And I also absolutely love exercise videos. Do you? I've got no coordination. So I'm going to, I'm going to break that down. I'm going to learn something new. This is what I'm going to do. Yeah, brilliant. Let's do it. Yeah, totally the right time. And then next on in line for you, when we are able to get out there again, what are the plans for you? Oh, well, we were hoping to go on holiday, which we can't do. So that's, we've got to put on the very back burner. Um, I am in the middle of filming a new show. Are you? All about anger. Oh, amazing. So we've filmed half of it. So okay. we're trying to get through the rest of it. So that's quite interesting. Yeah. I is anger and addiction. Very interested in that. Yes. Um, so fascinating. I'm sort of working on that. So there's lots that I'm doing. Yeah. Um, but I'm also trying to do things that are fun. Yeah, good stuff. I, I, I'm fascinated to ask, and I, I you know, I, I, I hope you don't mind me asking, oh. what's your relationship like now with your mum? I don't speak to her. Right. I haven't spoken to her for, I want to say 12 years. Yeah. But I have to say, there was a, she, she rang me a couple of years ago. Okay. Um, and I didn't really want, I, you know, it's, it's self-preservation. Yes, totally. Um, because it's a toxic relationship. Yeah, yeah. Really toxic. And yeah. it was affecting my mental health. Yeah. So I have to, for self-preservation, the preservation actually, what started this for me is not speaking to her, because she's very volatile. She's actually my daughter. Right. She behaved very badly in front of her, and I thought she's going to be the next victim. Of yes. Yeah. Going to change. Yeah. Because you have to be brave to change, and she doesn't want to. Yeah. So I have to put in the boundaries. Yeah, it's it's um, interesting, isn't it, with family members? Because you can do the work on yourself, but that doesn't mean necessarily that it's going to have any kind of knock-on effect on others no and and you know some people are horrified when i say i don't speak to her but you have to do what's right for you totally. some people have gone through similar things and they still have a connection and it works for them in a way that's boundary that's great yeah do what's right for you as an individual and for your family you know your own mental health so mm -hmm. that's where i'm at right now i agree Good for you. I try. Yeah. Listen, thank you so much for your time today. And thank you for your honesty and telling us your story. It's so inspiring. Thank you. I hope it helps somebody. Well, I think it will because I think there's a lot of people out there that have had some form of emotional or mental or physical abuse in childhood that don't dream that they can get through it at the moment and not only get through it which is what you've done but actually thrive i mean you're a great example of somebody that has 
a wonderful life and a relationship and a family and who loves what you do. It seems like you love what you do. I do love what I do because I love people. Yeah. And I'd say to anyone who's really struggling and stuck and feeling, you know, I'm never going to get out of this. I've felt like that too. Yes. I've really felt like that. I've had some really low points where you think this is never going to end, but it can. Yes. And it does. Yes. Trust me, you just have to work on yourself and get good support around you. Yeah. With all that, and often, you know, people who've been through trauma are the most wonderful, most loving people. Just do it for you. Yeah. Just do it for you. Yeah. Thank you, because those are very wise words, and that's what I really want our community because there's so much trauma out there, I think, that's undiagnosed. Yeah. So I think that we're really good in the UK at kind of looking at eating disorders or addiction or anxiety or depression. Yeah. But actually, if we look underneath it, for me, a lot of that stuff is just symptomology. It's not actually the cause. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think that you're right. I think that we are becoming more traumatized and we have to also be careful about that ripple effect of trauma yes because it can feed into other things like at the moment i think you know with this covid19 i think there's a lot of that you know re-triggering people's trauma and what's going to happen so i agree i think it's such an important such important work that you do yes to flag it up and look at how you can positively change that and 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 maybe also how we can do it, and I'd love to speak to you at another time about this, but how we can make trauma collectively more available to the masses. Because I think there are so many people that I know, and I know on my own personal journey, all of my resources went into my healing journey. Yeah. Yeah. You know? yeah. And one-to-one -one therapy, as we know, is expensive. That's, you're right. You know, so I, I suppose my mission is I'd love to make Trauma Thrivers into an online program where collectively we could kind of help a lot more people. Yeah, that's a great idea. You know, rather than the one-to-one -one because not everybody's got the resources to fund their own trauma healing journey. No, you're right. You're right. Mm -hmm. Do it, Lou. Yes. Yes, I'm on a mission. That's my mission. That's it. Yeah. But listen, for Trauma Thrivers today and for your time too, I just want to say thank you. Thank you. And I'll put all the website and everything up and your books for people so that if anybody wants to know more, and please let us know about the Anger series when it comes out so I can tell everybody about it because sure. um, I'm sure there'll be a few interested people in the group that want to look at their anger. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> thank you Lou you've been amazing thank oh thank you thank you for telling me and sharing and we'll catch up very soon great stuff all right take care